And I'd like to ask you to take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke 2. I wonder how many of you could have guessed what the text would be for our sermon this morning. Luke chapter 2. It's a familiar passage to us, and I think with some people, they have the idea that when something is familiar, then it kind of loses its importance or loses its flash. When we look at this wonderful story, it's very, very familiar to us, and I want to encourage us that we should never grow tired of hearing it. I'm not sure if anybody out there today is as big of a fan of Christmas movies as I am. I love Christmas movies. In fact, several weeks ago, I was actually budgeting, if you will, my time to make sure I got all my favorite Christmas movies in before Christmas. And I was getting a little bit behind, and so I'm, I've got a couple I haven't seen yet that I hope to see in the next couple days. Yesterday, I had the opportunity to watch what's kind of a Christmas movie with my daughter. And there's a whole Christmas theme, and it's very, very uh, unique and fun. But there's a scene in there that I had never noticed before that really struck just the right chord with me. There was a grandfather at this family gathering, and he was seated in a chair, and he was tinkering with something. And right next to him was a granddaughter. And the grandfather was speaking, and he was just going on and on, talking to the granddaughter. Now, the granddaughter was on her phone, on her device, so she wasn't paying real close attention to what he was saying. And yet, when I saw that, that really was attractive to me, to be able to sit and just reminisce, share old stories, maybe share some fond memories, maybe even Christmas stories. I would look forward to a day like that. There are some people that when they hear somebody repeating the same story or repeating themselves might get concerned. Maybe you've been with someone and they were repeating themselves and you thought to yourself, should we be concerned about this? They seem to be saying the same thing again and again. Do they know they've already told us that? When we look in God's word, we find a celebration of repeating stories. In fact, if you have the opportunity to read through the entire Old Testament, you're going to find the story of deliverance and freedom for the children of Israel repeated again and again. You'll find it in the sections of the Old Testament. You'll find it celebrated. And the basics of the story, of course, don't change. That the Hebrews were slaves in Egypt, and God sent those ten plagues. And then the big uh, climax at the end where God divides the Red Sea and the Hebrews walk across on dry ground. And then when the Egyptians get out there, the sea crushes the Egyptian soldiers as well as Pharaoh. They would tell this story again and again. It never grew old to them. It was about their freedom. It was about their deliverance. And they would tell it to those who were coming up behind them with the expectation that they would memorize it and love it and that they would tell that story to their children and their children to their children. And I don't suppose they had to dress it up too much. This is so incredible. This story of how God provided redemption, deliverance for them is amazing. And so when we approach this today, Luke chapter 2, I don't, I'm not going to apologize for us being in a story that most of you are very, very familiar with. 
In fact, if you've seen the uh, Charlie Brown Christmas special, I told you I'm a Christmas movie nut. You've already heard these verses from Luke chapter 2, if you've seen that already this year. And as we come to this, I want us to look at this familiar story, but I also want us to see some things that are familiar to us, but that were first. I'm going to back up and just for context, read the first seven verses of Luke chapter 2. And then following the birth of Christ, we'll look at some things that were first in the story. Starting in verse 1 of Luke 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, but to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Jesus Christ was the very first gift of Christmas. Following the birth of Jesus Christ, we find a presentation we find an announcement, we find the word is starting to spread. And it has spread throughout all the world. The message of Jesus Christ has been given to billions. And it's amazing to think that right here is when that started, the spreading of that message. Some first things that we see in this story, the first one is the first audience. We find the first audience right in the next verse. Look with me in verse number eight. It says, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, shepherds and specifically sheep would be very important to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is just about three or four miles away from Bethlehem, where this announcement of the birth of Christ would come. It's interesting to think about the different levels of creativity that people will give in making announcements today. Have you seen someone that had an announcement to give and they really got creative? Maybe they put something on social media or maybe they sent out all kinds of flyers. Some people have big announcements and they want to let as many people know as possible. This happened on July 8th of 2010 when there was an announcement that, that many people wanted to hear. The announcement was about a basketball player who was leaving one team and going to another. Now, that might sound trivial to you and me, but on that day, there were over 13 million viewers that tuned in to see where LeBron James was going to be going. He was leaving his team, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and he was going to go somewhere else. And they kept it a secret up until that live broadcast, and 13 million viewers tuned in to, I believe, ESPN, and they watched this interview, and he announced to the world that he was going to be taking his talents to South Beach and go play for the Miami Heat. A lot of hype, a lot of money, a lot of effort, and he didn't even stay at the Heat. He left and went back to the Cavaliers some years later and now is playing, I think, on the West Coast. Our God, who is rich in creativity, and is wondrous in his creation. Our God 
when he decided to announce to the world that God had taken on flesh, he chose as the very first audience not over 13 million people, but just a few shepherds on the hillside watching their sheep. Now, we know a little bit about shepherds. A lot of what we know comes from either the Bible or maybe the different Christmas programs that you've seen over the years. Shepherds were not very uh, highly thought of. A lot of people do know that. It was kind of an entry-level position there, and they were thought of being smelly. They were almost always ritually unclean. But even more than that, shepherds were distrusted. If you um, had the opportunity to hear something from somebody, and it, it caught your ear, and you thought, well, where did you hear that from? And that person would say, well, I heard that from, from my, my shepherd friend. They would automatically say, well, okay, take that with a grain of salt. We can't quite trust those shepherds in what they say. Shepherds were distrusted. In fact, we know that shepherds were not allowed in, in, in Jesus' day, they were not allowed to give evidence in a court of law. That's how untrusted they were. And yet this is the audience. These are the ones who will for the first time hear about God coming to earth, taking on human flesh. Now you have this advantage. You can read ahead to the teachings of Jesus Christ and in John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. We can read ahead and see that this one who was first told, the, the first uh, receivers of the message were shepherds, and he would be called the good shepherd. So we have the first audience, and then we have the first speaker. And we're familiar with the first speaker. That's in verse number nine. Look at it with me. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The first speaker, and we find the first reaction. The reaction is actually told before the message is told, which we'll get to in just a minute. But I like the idea of looking at this uh, speaker and even the reaction. Did you know that I am a person that studies the reactions of people that are receiving messages? You probably didn't know this, but nearly every week out of the year, I'm studying you and your body language and your faces. There are some common reactions that I see sometimes when I deliver a message. Let me share three of those reactions with you. One of the reactions is, quite frankly, boredom. There are some people that get bored. Now, there are some people that they're not really bored, but that's just their resting face, and I totally understand that. So if that's your face, I'm not judging you. In fact, um, that's, that's, that can be a challenge for some people. And I also understand there are some folks that are bored sometimes. There is a second group of people. The second and third I'll talk about are similar. The second group of people are what I call the smilers and nodders. Now, this is not... Um, a prominent in any church I've ever been at. But in every church I've ever been at, there has always been at least one person that constantly through the message will nod their head and will smile. I can give you the names of each person that I've known in the churches over the years. 
In fact, in our church family, there's one person, I'm not going to tell you where they sit exactly, but it is typical that from the beginning of the message, they are nodding and smiling. Now, that encourages a speaker. I very well know they can't really be pleased with everything that has been said, but that's very, very encouraging. The last one that I'll tell you about, the observation of the, message, of the, of the person receiving the message, is what I call the light bulb person. The person when you're talking and there's a point that is trying to be made and all of a sudden you can see a look on their face, almost of seriousness, and they start to nod their head yes. And you can tell something has clicked. Now I consider that to be a combination of God's perfect word, of the uh, practice, the, the delivery, the message preparation, and then also when the Holy Spirit gets involved. And that's wonderful to see that. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, nod your head and look, look serious. It's so interesting to study the reactions of people. Most of us here are familiar with the reaction of the shepherds when this speaker, this angel of the Lord appeared. What was their reaction? They were afraid. They were scared to death. And of course, I think you would be too. When we look at this first speaker, we know that angels are talked about in the scriptures quite a bit. In fact, 34 out of the 66 books of the Bible reference angels. 17 in the Old Testament, 17 in the New Testament. And so angels are busy glorifying God in heaven, and they're also busy doing God's bidding here on the earth. But when we talk about angels, and specifically what we find here in their message, we find a controversial section in the Christmas story. Now, it's not really controversial, but some people like to make things controversial that are not. But I will say this, there has been a lot of discussion and a lot of debate over the question of, did the angels sing at the announcement. How many of you have ever heard a discussion or somebody teach on if the angels sang or not? Okay, quite a few of you. Now, when we look at angels and their creativity, um, messenger is what the word angel means, they have an amazing ability to communicate a message. And I will concede the fact that our text here in Luke chapter 2 doesn't necessarily say that they were singing in this. But I would not want to, it doesn't, it, first of all, it doesn't say they weren't singing, and I would not want to limit them and say that they would not include some kind of music in this announcement. And yet some people will debate this. But we know from God's word that angels do sing. There are two books in the Bible where we are told that angels will sing. Now, for those of you who do like to debate and like to have some extra ammunition in, in talking about things like this, please don't get into an argument about baby Jesus' announcement. Having said that, I'll give you the two books. The first one is in the Old Testament, and it's in the book of Job. When we look at Job chapter 38, we're getting towards the end of that story. Many of you are familiar with the story of Job, how he lost so much. And God is going to teach Job a lesson. And in Job 38, God starts to question Job. And the point of this is so that Job knows how big God is and how small he is. And God's going to bless him. 
but God questions him to teach him some lessons. And in Job chapter 38, we find the proof text in verse number 7, but I want to back up to verse 4 because it starts with a question that you need to be aware of, where God is speaking to Job and he says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? These are rhetorical questions. He was nowhere to be found. And then God starts to list several things that he did. And as he lists them, he gets to verse number seven, when he says, where were you when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy? So we know that angels sing. So we find that in the oldest book in the Bible, the book of Job. Then let's fast forward to the last book we find in the Bible, the book of Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 5, we find the angels will sing. This is in the future, and this is when Jesus is handed the scroll. And when Jesus is handed that scroll, we find that the angels will bow down and they will sing. And in their song will be included the words, worthy is the lamb. We sing that today. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. And so I hope I get to join along with those angels when they sing that someday. That's Revelation chapter 5, if you're taking notes. The angel of the Lord appears here, and their reaction is they are scared, they are frightened. We're not surprised by that because every time, almost every time, we see an angel appearing to someone in the scriptures, the reaction is they're scared, they're afraid, and that makes sense to us. But I want to give an additional reason to just the um, surprise of an angel, an angelic being appearing before someone, of why they would be scared. I believe that these shepherds were learned Jewish people, and they would be very well aware of the fact that anyone coming with his sin into the presence of God could be struck dead on the spot. And so, when the message is given, or I should say, when it says the glory of God shown, here's the glory of God, here's these sinful shepherds. It very well could be they were afraid for their life because that no sinner could see God's face. And so we have the first audience, and then the first speaker, and then we see the first message, this wonderful familiar message. Let's read it together, starting in verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Jesus Christ was the best teacher that ever walked on the face of the earth. Jesus Christ was a healer that many would seek after. Jesus Christ was a discipler. Jesus Christ was a leader. But of all the wonderful titles that Jesus Christ holds, we find here one that should be very, very important to you and to I. What the angel said, unto you is born this day a Savior. 
I hope you know him, not only as a teacher, as a historic figure, as a good person, but I hope you know Jesus Christ as your Savior today. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, of that message, I just want to take one three-letter word and just focus on that just for a moment. That one three-letter word that came in the message is the word all. Jesus came for all. And I love that we find that teaching right in the Christmas story. Do you see it there? You won't necessarily see it here in our text in Luke chapter 2. You'll see half of it. But I think it's helpful for us to point out this. When you look at that word all, that God is going to provide salvation for all men, we find in our part of the story, the shepherds. The shepherds were the lowest of the low. Bottom of the pile. That's what the shepherds were. They weren't trusted enough to give evidence in a court of law. They weren't trusted enough to repeat a story that they said without someone doubting their credibility the lowest of the low. And who is the other group that oftentimes we will sing about and talk about in the Christmas story? It is the kings, the wise men, right? We have from the lowest of the low to the highest of the high, and Jesus Christ died for all of them. No one is excluded from this gift. And then we see the first response after that. Look at verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. What we find in the reaction of the shepherds is actually what we find in the great commission that Jesus came, gave right before he ascended up into heaven. They heard the message and then they told the message. They heard about this great news and then they told others about this great news. They had the first opportunity to tell others what Christmas is all about. The heart of Christmas is Jesus Christ. And this story is worthy of repeating. I hope that you have someone that you're close to that has heard you talk about Christmas or Jesus or the church program whatever it might be. And I hope that the following year, they're kind of hearing you say the same thing. Christmas, Jesus, church celebration. I hope it gets to the point where they might be thinking, should I be concerned about my friend? Boy, my friend sure does seem to love Christmas a whole lot. This is the story that is worth repeating again and again and again. And so often, when we come to Christmas time, too many people 
don't hear this message. Too many people don't see it. They don't see the light of Jesus Christ in our life. And so we have opportunity to never think we have to dress up this story with something different or something fancy or something new. We can just reverse right back to this miracle of God. God leaving heaven and coming down to earth and taking on human flesh so that he could die for the sins of the world. Now, many of us have traditions that we will pay attention to, and there is one tradition, a famous reading, a famous poem, if you will, and I found a different version of that poem because the original poem doesn't talk about Jesus Christ and what he did for us, and yet I found a wonderful version that I'd like to share with you as we close our time today. "'Twas the night before Christmas in David's hometown. The city was crammed with people pressed down. Joseph and Mary searched, seeking a room, her belly so swollen, a child in her womb. Pilgrims were piled on top of each other, flesh pressing flesh, children and fathers and mothers. With patience and prayer, the couple conceded. Personal privacy was desperately needed. The the innkeeper sighed and said, we're unable to provide a shelter, just this simple stable. And surrounded by cattle and goats and a manger, things continued to worsen and soon got stranger. When all of a sudden, contractions they came, muscles contorted and twisted in pain. Both mother and father were weeping and crying. The pain and the horror, she felt she was dying. But she pushed and she pushed and a baby did come, a beautiful baby, a beautiful son. And she wrapped her new baby in swaddling clothes and remembered the name the angel had chose. His name will be Jesus, the Savior of all, Emmanuel, Rock, Redeemer, recall? And the voices were heard from angels on high, proclaiming God's word from Bethlehem's sky. And the angels appeared to shepherds by night, attending their flocks, beheld that great sight. Glory to God in the highest and goodwill toward men, a Savior, Redeemer, Deliverer from sin. And as the child was dressed in swaddling clothes, he listened and listened to the praise and the prose. From the cries of his mother and the songs that were sung, he then glimpsed into the future where on a cross he hung. And the prophets and poets and pundits and people all crammed into churches with pews and a steeple. They'd listen to preachers and point to the stories about saving grace and all of God's glories. But who would have guessed on the night before Christmas that most of the world would have certainly missed us? Because Jesus, oh Jesus, is nowhere in sight as the day and the darkness slip into the night. On the night before Christmas, in a freshly swept stable, the blood and the sweat and the cries, if we're able, will miss the whole point of what he has done, the need for a savior, the need for a son. And so perhaps on this Christmas, 
we will remember what's real. We'll remember the purpose. We'll remember the deal of why Jesus came to an earth such as ours to deliver our souls in this fateful hour. And so when your Christmas comes with such great cheer, remember your soul. Remember, my dear, remember the Savior who came in the night and remember your sin as it slips out of sight. Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. Merry Christmas to you. Let's pray. Our loving Father, how wonderful that we can take time to remember Jesus' birth and we follow that to a cross and we thank you that all of that spells out love for us. We thank you for what we have in forgiveness and we thank you for the love that you showed to us that you gave your only begotten Son that whosoever believes in you should not perish but have eternal life. We thank you for having a good plan and we thank you that we can be a part of it and that Christmas is so much more for us than it would be for those who don't know Jesus Christ. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I want to give you a chance to pray on this Christmas Sunday. As the piano plays through, I will give you an opportunity maybe just to thank God for giving us his son. Thank Jesus for what he did. Take a moment to reflect on what we have because of Christmas and the baby. Maybe you're here today and you've never asked God to save you of your sins. You're not sure you're on your way to heaven. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That means you can be, pray a simple prayer, something like this. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and that Jesus Christ came to earth and died for my sins and rose from the grave. And because of this, I can ask you to forgive me and you will make me your child. If you want to pray a prayer like that, God promises to save you and make you one of his children. Take just a moment to pray.